Okay, so the theme that I'm using tonight, or today, I should say, is just float. Time and time again, God pushed for us to see him. And time and time again, the Christians of old and new keep falling back to rules and regulations versus trusting God's plan and his love. I want to look into some reasons why we choose staying in control versus floating in the stream of God's love. You would think that his call to relax and to rest would be easy. But we constantly resist this. We want to believe that our efforts will guarantee us a place in the kingdom. And we consistently choose to be afraid and live in fear, no matter how much God assures us that he is doing the work and we are not. So why would we rather fight than relax? Why would we rather be in fear than in love? And why would we rather believe we are closer to hell than to heaven? We want to believe we're intelligent living people, living in God's love. None of us say we're not. But so much of what we do is in contrast to that fact. So I must go back to our fear of perfect love and our desire to stay in control. Why does love have to be so hard? So I'll begin with our need to be in control. This controlling is often what keeps us from being able to rest in God. We want to do steps that are easy for us because we don't want to give up control. We would rather carry guilt and shame than to accept the perfect love of God and relax. I think we may be noble in our efforts, not wanting to miss Christ, so we think that we have to do these extra works in order for him to see us. We know we need to obey the scriptures, but we are trying to obey them in our own effort. Now, there's two problems with this. One is that what God asks for is something that we can't do within ourselves. God was very purposeful with this. God wanted our sins and our failures to point us to the fact that we need him. Instead, our sin and our failures make us turn away from him. And we keep trying to get it right by ourselves. We then worship our idols. The second problem is trying to do it on our own is that we leave, as David Brenner puts it in Surrender to Love, the kingdom of self intact. We remain in control and my willful ways of running my life remain unchallenged. The whole point of the kingdom of God is to turn over the kingdom of self. These are at two rival kingdoms fighting each other. We need to be very suspicious when self-control and egocentricity are left unchallenged in our Christ following. The Greek word our Bible translates as obey suggests listening to God's will and submitting to it. Obedience is surrender to the authority that liberates us. Disobedience 
is refusing to submit to this authority. Again, obedience is surrender to the authority that liberates us. And disobedience is simply refusing to submit to this authority. It is clear that God does not want mere behavioral compliance. He wants obedience in both conduct and heart. He wants us to do the right things for the right reasons. Relying on the will to make things happen keeps us focused on the self. Life lived with resolve and determination is life lived apart from surrender. It is living the illusion that I can be in control. It is the rule of life lived in the kingdom of self. Our control has become our idol as well. And this is the problem when we become so self-righteous that we pat ourselves on the back of how saved we are, how we've never messed up, how I'm so in control and you can't put anything on me. It's just about yourself. It's not about Jesus anymore. Instead of us using our will to obey God, we need to have willingness, which involves the release of control. It is symbolized by open hands. It is the surrender of my autonomy in my will. It is giving up my deceptive quest for control. And it is the relinquishment of the keys to the kingdom of self and giving it to God. Obedience that flows from a surrendered heart is totally different. Rather than willpower and resolve, love is the motive for what we will and what we do. Jesus has invited us to come to him and relinquish the control of our life. He invites us to give up our desperate and deceptive striving after self-sufficiency. He invites us to abandon the isolation and the inflexibility of our egocentricity. And in its place, he offers rest, fulfillment, and the discovery of our true and deepest self in Christ. When we take this step of surrender, we suddenly discover the place which we have been unconsciously longing for. Surrender is being willing rather than willful. It is a readiness to trust that is based in love. It is relaxing and letting go. It is floating in the river that is God's love. Surrender carries the implication of putting one's full weight on someone or something. It involves letting go, a release of effort, tension, and fear, and it involves trust. One cannot let go of self-dependence and transfer dependence to someone else without trust. We refuse to be fully God-dependent because we simply don't trust him. It simply does not make sense to us that he will take care of our weaknesses and failures just because he loves us. No one else has done this for us. 
but we must remind ourselves that God is not like man. Now, I will use the concept of floating as an illustration. I borrowed this from Brenner as well. You cannot float until you let go. Floating is putting your full weight on the water and trusting that you will be supported. It is letting go of your natural instincts to fight against sinking. Only then do you discover that you were supported. When you begin to float in the water and you finally let it go and you relax, you just move. You don't try to put effort into it, it's just a flow. Our efforts to stay afloat, that is our efforts to earn God's love, are always counterproductive. We must simply open our spiritual eyes and see that we're in the river of God's love and that our staying afloat and moving along are God's responsibility. All we have to do is surrender. We float only when we stop trying to do so. And we never discover that we do not need to do anything to stay afloat until we let go. That is what surrender is. And apart from such surrender, we remain self-preoccupied as our willful attempts to stay in control cut us off from life itself. So we'll look at Peter and Jesus on the water. The moment he becomes self-aware, he starts to drown. As long as his eyes were on Jesus, he stayed afloat. Peter didn't need to do anything but stay focused on God. If he could just get lost in God's eyes, he would have just kept moving. God was doing all the work to keep him afloat. And we've read this over and over again. But I think we keep missing what it really means. That we were supposed to go in a trance with God. And every time we start fighting and trying to walk by ourselves, we somehow lose God. We are afraid to get out of the way because we simply don't trust God. We really want to make it to heaven. We really want to please God. But we cannot figure out how this can happen without our help because we don't think Jesus is capable of getting us there on his own. We need to stop our panicking, thrashing about in an effort to float. Surprisingly, our panic efforts to stay afloat usually lead to sinking. Every time we start to panic and think we need to do something to stay afloat, we lift our heads out of the water and no longer rest in it. As soon as we do, we begin to sink. Our efforts to stay afloat may keep our heads above the water for a while, but eventually we tire, and eventually our efforts to keep afloat will drown us. Remember, our labor can become an idol. So if you think about just floating, the moment you get nervous and you lift your head up trying to see where you're going, see if you're going to hit the wall, you just start drowning. Your body completely sinks, and you no longer are in a relaxed mode. It is not our job so much to try to always see where we're going. We're supposed to trust and let God just guide us. 
So let's look at Isaiah 28 and 12. It says, to these complaining Jews, the Lord had said, this is the true rest, the way to true comfort and happiness that you shall give to the weary. And this is the true refreshing, yet they would not listen to his teachings. Therefore, the word of the Lord will be to them merely monotonous repeatings of precept upon precept, teaching upon teaching, instruction upon instruction, rule upon rule, rule upon rule, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared or captured and taken. I'm here to give you the rest and the refreshing. I'm here for you just to relax. You want to keep going back to these rules and regulations. Rule upon rule. That's all we see the Bible as now. It's just rules. It's just here or there. Here is there. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to get this right. I got to get that right. Now, people use this, and I was talking to Andre about this very verse. And we said that that's what we're supposed to do is how the King James put it. Here a little, there a little, you know, line upon line, precept on precept. As if this was the way we're supposed to find God. Here he's saying, because you won't go into the rest and the refreshing, my words and my teachings have become just line upon line, rule upon rule, precept on precept. That you may, it says that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. When you see the word of God as just this, you're about to be broken and put in a trap. Now let's look into Matthew 11, 27 through 30. The previous verses from 20 to 27, Jesus is there fussing at the people for not receiving his message. In 25 and 26, he stops fussing. He had to take himself a little break. And then he thought he should just offer a little prayer to the Father. Lord, thank you for giving me who's listening instead of me concentrating on the folks that are not. See, even Jesus had to deal with that. Isn't that something? We're supposed to just be grateful for who's going to receive. But 27, he says, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly changed his tone. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation, coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. 28, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. 
why don't we want this? Why would we rather have all the other stuff? Don't you want to be free and light? I want a little chaos. I like the chaos. I want stuff to be heavy on me and all tight, squeezing my stomach. What makes grace amazing is that it and it alone can free us from our fears and make us truly whole and free. Surrender to God's love offers us the possibility of freedom from guilt, freedom from efforts to earn God's approval, and freedom to genuinely love God and others as the Father loves us. Time and again, Jesus and the apostles pushed the people to let go of the old way of the law, the rules and the regulations, and to just come to Jesus. Now we look at some passages of scriptures to deal with this very thing. Keep in mind that our task is to simply float in Jesus and to trust the spirit to be in control, to support us and to guide us. So first, we'll look at Romans, Romans 7. And Paul is reminding them of the old way and how the law did not help them attain this perfection that they are trying so hard to hold on to. Many of the Jewish intellect believe that if everyone could just keep the law perfectly for one day, the Messiah would come back. So it was hard for them to release this. This is why they got chided so much because they didn't know the Messiah was already there present in front of them. So they were like, no, you gotta hold on to this. If we could all just get together. And their efforts were actually noble. I want the Messiah to come. But we're doing it within our own efforts. They refused to realize that the Messiah was here and wanted to free them from this impossible endeavor to be perfect in the law. It's impossible. He wanted them to rest and relax and let him handle the rest. So Romans 7, now this is going to be a little lengthy, y'all. But I'm reading it from the Message Bible, so it sounds like me talking. If that was a little haughty of myself, forgive me. Okay, so 7 and 8, we're going to start. Don't you remember how it was? This is him talking to, to them good folks. I do perfectly well. The law code started out as an excellent piece of work. What happened, though, was that sin found a way to pervert the command into a temptation, making a piece of forbidden fruit out of it. The law code, instead of being used to guide me, was used to seduce me. Without all the paraphernalia of the law code, Sin looked pretty dull and lifeless, and I went along without paying much attention to it. But once sin got its hands on the law code and decked it out in all that finery, I was fooled and I fell for it. The very command that was supposed to guide me into life was cleverly used to trip me up, throwing me headlong. So sin was plenty alive, and I was stone dead. But the law code itself is God's good and common sense. 
each command sane and holy counsel. I can already hear your next question. Does that mean I can't even trust what is good, that is the law? Is good just as dangerous as evil? No, again. Sin simply did what sin is so famous for. Using the good as a cover to tempt me to do what finally would destroy me. By hiding within God's good commandment, sin did far more mischief than it could have ever accomplished on its own. I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it is predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's command, but it is pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the juggler when he said his son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. 
entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law cold, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid for sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Now that was a lot to read. But I had to give you the whole back story. Paul understood that the law had its positiveness. But the moment you dangle of that stuff in front of you, it becomes a little seduction. You're telling me nothing, nothing. I'm saying, well, why not? Well, let me just taste and see. So we get tripped up. And I thought that was very interesting the way that they worded it as far as it became to be a seductive thing. Just pulling me in. Hmm. Now, how many times have we looked at these verses and yet we still think that our efforts will gain us favor with God? Whenever we step out of the surrender of the spirit, we are in self and self will always disappoint us. Self will always fail and then Satan is so tricky because he tells you, you have to earn God's love. Knowing full well when you try to earn it, you will then fail. Then he beats you up for you trying your own efforts. And then the cycle begins again. Go on, you know you ain't doing enough. Do some more, help him out. You know he needs you to help. Look, boy, you failed again. <laughs> you so sorry. This is why he doesn't want you to embrace grace, mercy, and love because when you embrace these facts, you take the devil's power away. We talk about grace, mercy, and love, but we haven't surrendered to it. We're not floating in it. It's just mere language. The love of God, the mercy of God, the, the grace of God. We don't really live it as it's a fact in our life. It's just a concept. Now let's look at Galatians 5. Again, Paul is fussing. He did a lot of fussing at the folks for trying to implement circumcision on the Christ followers. This angered him because he couldn't understand. He couldn't understand why they would go back to these rules when he was telling them, you already got Jesus. He's here. Follow Christ. Get away from that stuff. Why do I have to keep coming back telling you folks? We just had a discussion in Romans. Why am I coming back again? So Galatians 5 and 1. I'm going to do 1 through 6. And I think I'm leaving reading the uh, Message Bible again. It says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I am emphatic about this. The moment any one of you 
submits to the circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. I repeat my warnings. The person who accepts the ways of circumcision trades all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave life of the law. The moment any of you submits, the moment to circumcision or any rule-keeping system, at that moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. Wow. You said, I would rather have slave life than free life. Verse 4, I suspect you would never intend to do this. But this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. You are cut off from Christ. And you fall out of grace. That's frightening. I'm out of grace now? I can't be saved without grace. I can't make it to heaven without grace. Jesus. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. We doing all these attempts on our own, and we saying, where's the relationship? Well, Jesus, why we ain't talking to each other? Why ain't you coming and giving me all the answers? Because you didn't got cut off. Because you chose the rule following and the regulation in your own religious plan and project over Jesus. Verse 6, for in Christ neither are most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. Doing the right things for the right reasons. The reasons have to always be love. When it is fear, we are not operating in the spirit. When I rule keep, I'm not in the spirit because I'm scared I'm going to hell. So all my conscientious efforts of living this straight life, and I can't nobody say nothing about me. I can wave my hand and say I ain't done this in 20 years. All of that goes asunder. And I've taken slavery. And I didn't fallen out of grace. Jump down to verse 13. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use these freedoms as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. 
Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be alienating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? Remember who he's talking to. These were the people that were judging others about circumcision and how they weren't holy enough. Judging folks becomes a full-time job. Full-time. And sometimes you, you do a little overtime. Because you are not comfortable with yourself and what you were doing. You look at others as a way to mark yourself. And that's what the whole religious circle has become. Yes. Yes. I'm marking myself on you and you and you and you. We didn't forgot about Jesus a long time ago. Often the underlining causes of judging are wanting validation and acceptance. Yes. But we want it not from God, we want it from each other. When you strive for these things from others, we will lose our freedom in God and we will alienate each other. This is why they started destroying one another because I'm telling you, well, I gotta do it this way, you gotta do it this way. I gotta do it this way, you gotta do it this way. Now, we're all at odds with each other, fighting over what? It's God's spirit that does the work. I'm not supposed to be telling you all that stuff and you ain't supposed to be telling me all that stuff. The spirit, love, let it guide you, float. Why are we just treading water? All we do is doggy paddle. We don't float. We in the river. We got in the river of the water. But we just a paddling. We just as tired and burdened. And you know you doggy paddle longer, you get tired. Try not to, to drown. And we keep singing and then we <laughs> panting all out of breath and he said the yoke was easy and the burden light verse 16 it says my counsel is this live freely animated full of life and motivated by god's spirit then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness for there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit. Just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical, opposing. So that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? My sinful self-interest is taking me away from God. And they're fighting each other. I cannot have self-interest and be about the self, getting the self together, and be in the Spirit. 
That means I have not released myself to God. It's still all about me. Remember last night, that was the first idol named, narcissism. Being all about me, my self-interest, me getting me together, me, 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 me. And, we're, and we have covered it. Remember what he said in the beginning, that Satan, sin had a way of coming in and took the cover of something good and made it bad. We have taken the cover of supposedly getting ourselves together with God, trying to live this perfect life, trying to look like we have it all together, and it has become our idol. Because we took it out of God's hand and put our salvation in our hand. And now we're not saved from nothing. Because we ain't got no grace covering us. Now he's about to go into what happens. We're going to go into the Galatian sins. We love those. We got just thought we should do the whole book and, and let's see what really we're talking about here. This is what happens when you live a life outside of the spirit being in control. I find it interesting that the very thing we harp on, as far as the sins we shouldn't commit, are linked to people trying to keep the law versus people being free in the spirit and trusting the spirit to do the work. Remember in Romans he said that the law was good, but sin had a way of creeping into it and perverting it and making it a temptation. So when we harp on don't sin, sin looks more attractive. Instead, we should push living in the spirit and surrender to the spirit, and the temptations of sin are less alluring. Just like if someone brought a box and just left it in the corner and said nothing else about it, we wouldn't even pay attention to it. But if someone came, dropped a box, and said 50 times, make sure y'all don't look in it, don't look in the box now, the box, make sure you don't look in it, then you go and look in the box because I want to know why what's in that box that I can't look in. Take the garden. The tree of good and evil was always there. It didn't just appear when Satan showed up. It was always just sitting there. They didn't give it no mind. Not until Satan came and emphasized that it shouldn't be eaten did the temptation grow and overtake them. So 19, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. That's living in that kingdom of self. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence incapacity to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, 
the vicious, vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies or distortions of community. And I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I like this transition because, translation, excuse me, because we often read the Galatian sins and we can check which ones we don't do. Well, I ain't doing that because we don't really know what the words really mean. So you say, you know, seditions and streets, like, oh, well, I ain't in a sedition. You know, you just make up what that stuff really means. But when you read it from this, you remember and realize I didn't participate in a lot of this. I mean, you know, of course, the sex everybody can throw out. Now, you shouldn't have sex without, you know, being married. Okay. But a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Who don't have a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage? Frenzied and joyless grabs of happiness. Trinket gods. That's our idols. That's our idols. Magic show religion. Magic show religion. Let's do a magic show. Magic show religion. How crazy is that? This is in the Galatian sins. That he was telling the folks, don't, don't fall in that. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. And we just waving our hands. Oh, paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. We will cut somebody up in a minute because we think everybody fighting with us. All consuming yet never satisfied once. We just be going after stuff. This don't work. Let me go after something else. This don't work. Let me go after something else. And we're never satisfied. A brutal temper. That just says enough all by itself. An incapacity to love or be loved. And oftentimes we're always talking about show love, show love, show love. But oftentimes our problem is we can't receive love. I can't receive it because I don't think I'm worthy of it. So people may be showing me some love, but I'm like, no, I can't take that from you. And it's the same thing we do with God. God is lavishly pouring his love out on us. And we're like, no, Jesus, I can't receive that from you. Divided homes and divided lives. That didn't cut out half the church foot. <laughs> That means we didn't just took out half the rolls. Divided homes. Folks not getting along. Folks ain't with each other. Ain't no love flowing through the home. No intimacies. 
you may still be married. We good at that in the church, don't get divorced. But the home is divided. Our lives are cut up, no flow. Small-minded nah. and lopsided pursuits. Living our lives on this little, little, little stump. Because Jesus is coming back soon. Don't get too big. Don't need to think big because Jesus is on his way. Don't go and do all the stuff you could do. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. Won't inherit the kingdom. Jesus. Oh. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. We no longer have that humanity. Just because you're human, we got some flowing connection. We see everybody as just the enemy. So people could be saying something very positive, but we didn't flip it. What you really mean? Always reading between the lines. Because we can't trust nothing. Because I've depersonalized you and made you man to me. Won't inherit the kingdom? Lord, are we, this is why he ain't came back. Because he says, y'all not ready for me. I'm going to work out your stuff. I'm going to wait. I got patience. Get it together. <sighs> Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Now, remember, addictions are not just like drug and alcohol or sex. There's so many addictions out there that we feed ourselves. We just out of control. And it controls us. You got to find out what's your addiction. What's controlling you? What's giving you your high? Because, see, we can listen and say, oh, you shouldn't drink. Or you shouldn't do that. But what are you doing? That's got you all wrapped up. That's making you miss God. You could have a food addiction that makes you miss Jesus. Because your food serves as your way to get comfort. And Jesus no longer fits it. Your shopping could be your addiction. Because you do retail therapy. Make you feel better. And it gave you a little high at the time. Knowing good well you didn't have that money. Then you fall into a trap. And then you're like, oh man, I got to pay these bills. The TV can become your addiction. Sports can become your addiction. You got to see every game. You can't leave the room. Your child got something special going away. I got to see the game. Ain't nothing wrong with a little game, but are you, is it your way to escape? And that's what we got to look at. What's making you go to an escape? What's your escape route? Is it Jesus? Probably not. Won't inherit the king? When we come to the kingdom, still Jesus, <laughs> we beg. Distortions of community. We ain't together worth nothing. 
as a community, if you think about the biblical times, they were they had a certain amount of because the, they had the house churches. They had just people coming together, fellowshipping, taking care of one another. That's why he was telling them, you know, we should have some equality in our stuff. We ain't got that. We are devouring each other to try to get ahead. And whatever I got, if you can't come with me, you about to get taken down. I need to go up just a little further. I will step on you and crush you. And we are proud of it. And we say, look how the Lord didn't bless me. You just didn't trample six folks. Oh, but Jesus is on my side. Mm. That makes you look at the, the, the sins a little different, doesn't it? Just a little different. Verse 22. But what happens when we live God's way? We bring, he brings, excuse me, gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in origin. Things like affection for each other's, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal or organize and direct our energies wisely, redeeming the time. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. Since this, sorry, since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the spirit, the life of the spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another was worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. I will end with this thought, almost finished. Difficulties in obedience or surrender are often viewed as problems of the will. This is the reason some try over and over again to surrender all, each time attempting to do so with more fever and more resolve. How many times have we heard to rededicate ourselves to Christ? Tonight, let's make this rededication we're going to rededicate ourselves not to mess up again. So we raise our hands and say, Lord, I dedicate my life one more time. And help me this time not to mess up. But this misses the point of surrendering first to love and allowing obedience to be an obligation of love, not a response to a commandment. 
First, I give my everything and let love completely support me. I put my full weight on love. Allowing obedience to be an obligation of love, not a response to a commandment. Ultimately, problems in surrender and obedience are problems of knowing God's love. There are problems, therefore, of the heart and not the will. So why do we keep tripping up on these sins? Because I don't know the love of God. And because I'm not intimate with him. And because I have not surrendered to his love in the spirit moving me. That is the reason why I sinned. Surrender to God flows out of the experience of love that will never let me go. It is the response of the heart that knows that since God is for me, nothing can come between me and the perfect love. Love that surrounds me and will support me regardless of my efforts, my response, or even my attention. I am just supported by love. 1 John 4 and 16 we know how much God loves us because we have felt his love and because we believe him when he tells us that he loves us dearly. This is how I know. God is love and anyone who lives in love is living with God and God is living in him. And as we live with Christ, our love grows more perfect and complete. So we will not be ashamed and embarrassed at the day of judgment, but can face him with confidence and joy because he loves us. We love him too. I don't have to be scared. 18. We have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what he might do to us. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what he might do to us and shows that we are not fully convinced that he really loves us. So you see, our love for him comes as a result of his loving us first. And until we can believe how much he loves us, I will never begin to love him. Consider how easy and natural floating is. Think about when you're in the water and you're just floating. That's a great feeling. When you have no worries and you're just roaming around the pool and you're unafraid, you're not looking up to see if you're going to even hit the wall. You're just laying there. Yet I'm amazed how much energy we put into treading water. The lie we seem to believe is that our efforts are keeping us afloat, perhaps even keeping us moving through the water. The reality is that all they do is tire me out and hold us in the same place and deprive us of the joyous discovery that we are supported. All our lives, all we wanted is to be supported. And now we got the support and we fighting it. 
it is no wonder that we long for rest. Trying to stay afloat and move through the water on our own energy satisfies our willful sense of independence, but it leaves us exhausted. And we never seem to get where we think we should be going. I keep trying to obtain this perfection and I never get there. And I'm tired now and I want to give up. Surrender to love is never a once for all done deal. I surrender, then I lift my head up out the water to see where I'm going. I immediately start to tread water again. Then again, I must surrender. I must trust that I am supported. Last verse, Romans 8 and 31. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Look at it this way. Jesus is pleading for my fellowship in God's love. Pleading. He wants me to know that no matter what, I am supported by God's love. No matter what. He says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just learn of me. Yes. He's screaming that, will you learn of me? And he's talking to the father. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wait, 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 hold on. Can't come back yet. My kids are not ready. Father, wait one more, wait, give them a little more grace. Jesus is up there as our defense to the Father. Why are we scared? Why are we not floating? Trust me. He's begging us to just trust me. Just float. I love you. I got God's ear. I'm the closest thing. I'm right sitting here on God's lap, talking to him about you. Why are you worried if you're going to make it, if everything's going to work out? I'm cheering for you. Just float. Lay back, relax your weight, and float. Float.